You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Psalm 119, verse number 137. The Bible says, Righteous are thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. Verse 139, My zeal hath consumed me, because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. I am small and despised, yet do not I forget thy precepts. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet thy commandments are my delights. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. Amen. Let's pray. We love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for a wonderful day. Thank you for being so faithful to us, and thank you for uh, never leaving us, never forsaking us. I thank you for uh, renewing your mercies day by day. And we thank you for your word that we're about to study. And I pray that you'd help us to uh, have eyes that are open and ears that are open and a heart that is receptive. And I pray you'd give us exactly what we need for this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Psalm 119, if you noticed in this particular section, and uh, I, don't, I don't say this every Sunday night about Psalm 119, but this is an alphabetical psalm. There are 22 sections and there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And so each section would begin with uh, the, the corresponding letter of the alphabet. Each section has eight verses. And this theme of this psalm is all about the Word of God. And so if you think, say, well, it sounds like pastor just keeps on preaching about the Bible and preaching about the Bible, that's because that's what David was talking about in Psalm 119. And uh, it's a good thing to talk about the Bible. It's a good thing to read the Bible. It's a good thing to know what you have when you open the pages of Scripture. You know, there are some books that uh, you could read once, and it probably wouldn't do you a lot of good to read it again. But I'll tell you this, when you read the Bible, it'll help you every time. Amen. You say, what if I don't understand everything I'm reading? Well, number one, join the crowd. Uh, I have read the Bible through many times. I've preached a lot of the Bible, but there are still things that I'll read and I'll say, I, I don't understand that. Uh, God is infinite, may I remind you, and we are finite. And I don't understand. I, I mentioned this morning in talking about creation. I don't understand how God could take the dust of the ground and form man and then breathe into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. I don't understand that. I don't understand how our body is made up of 30 trillion cells. Uh, I, don't, I don't even understand, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm really going to scare some of you here, I don't even know that I could explain to you everything about gravity. But I know one thing, I'm not going to go jump off the roof of the church because it's real, whether you believe it or you understand it or not. And I know this, whenever you read the Bible, it'll help you. Uh, I, had, I had lunch today. And uh, I had some delicious uh, food that uh, my wife had prepared. I don't know all the ingredients that were in that meal. 
I don't know all of the steps and how it was cooked and how it was prepared. I don't know how that it was, uh, uh, how it was even brought to the store. I don't know all the, tr- I don't know all that, but I tell you what, that meal helped me today. I take, I take showers. That's a good thing to do. Take showers. I'm for showers. I don't know where all that water comes from, and I don't know exactly how all the pipes go through the house and all of that, but I know this. Every time I take a shower, it cleans me. Can I tell you, every time you read this book, it feeds you. Every time you read this book, it cleans you, it washes you. You say, well, I don't understand it. That's okay. Just keep on reading. And as you read, you're reading a book that is alive. It is powerful. You're reading a book. It's not only alive, but you're reading a book that shows you yourself in a mirror. Now, when I go to look in a mirror, I see me. Which, although Brother Wade back here, we were talking this morning, we got the same suit on. We got the same hairstyle going on. Uh, I've got glasses. I said, Brother Wade, I said, if I'm not doing well this morning, I may just call you up and, 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 and tap you and you can take over. He, I said, they'll never know. He said, well, they might know. But can I tell you, when I look in a mirror, it shows me me. Sometimes we read the Bible and we think about everybody else and all the things they need to fix. I got news for you. When I read the Bible, I want God to show me what needs to be changed, and it will. Uh, The book of James says we look into the Bible as, as looking into the perfect law of liberty. It's a glass. It's a mirror that shows us. and That's why some people don't want to read the Bible, because it reveals that there is sin and there are things in our lives that need to be changed. And so may we always... Be faithful to read and study the Word of God. It is the Word of God. I want you to notice in this passage, though, we see the word righteous. It says in verse 137, Righteous art thou, O Lord. Upright, or again, there's another word for being right, are thy judgments. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. The Bible says in verse 142, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. Verse number 144, the righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. The word righteous means to be just. It means to be correct. The word upright actually has the idea of being correct and proper, but it's also got the idea of something that is straight. You know, this book, it'll keep you on the straight and narrow way. While people are trying to pull you aside and the devil's trying to discourage you and your flesh is trying to get you to get out of the race, this book will keep you on track. It'll keep you going the place to the destination that God has for your life. I want to remind you that as we talk about righteousness and we talk about uh, the righteousness of this book, I want to remind you that we are not striving for righteousness for salvation. Because the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But it's according to his mercy that he saved us. We are striving to be right so that we can please God. We're not striving to be right so we can be saved. If you're trying to work your way to heaven, if you had a million lifetimes, you'd never do enough good. Because the Bible says that whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Righteousness, our righteousness cannot save us. Galatians 2, the Bible says this, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Notice this, 2 Corinthians 5, for he, 
that is God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus didn't know any sin. We knew sin. That's what we were. We're sinners. But he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Aren't you glad because of Christ's righteousness when God sees us as children of God, as saved, born-again people, when God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of his only son. Praise God for the righteousness of God that saves us. Not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of God. But then I want to make it clear that God desires for his people to be righteous. Romans 6, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Did you know if, if I had a hammer, uh, I could do some damage in this building. Not that I'd want to do some damage, but that's my specialty with the hammer. My specialty is demolition. Uh, Brother Dan and I, one summer when we were back in Illinois, uh, we were actually remodeling the auditorium, actually adding on. And so we were in that auditorium and we were tearing out. It was an old, old auditorium. Uh, the, the old, the plaster, I've told you this before, but it had the old thin wooden slats, probably from the early 1900s, uh, 1920s maybe, and those old slats, and it was just a, a hard, almost like a concrete plaster. And we were in that auditorium, we were tearing that apart. Um, there were no windows in that, uh, stained glass windows, but there's no ventilation. We probably took years off of our life, you know, but we had a good time. And we were doing demolition. Uh, my dad, uh, my, my, my dad, Brother Dan's pastor, uh, he trusted us for demolition. You ought to be impressed right there. But it was amazing when it came time to do the actual finish work. It was amazing that there was a, a carpenter, a finished carpenter that came in and it had beautiful, it was an old building, and so they had beautiful, uh, very tall uh, uh, wood baseboards and beautiful uh, casing around all those stained glass windows. And uh, my dad did let me stain the boards before they went up, and he did allow me to varnish the boards before they went up. But once they were going up with power tools and hammers and nails and all that, I was not on that crew. Well, what is a hammer? It's an instrument. And that hammer can be an instrument of good things or it can be an instrument for bad things, right? Your life and my life is an instrument. And God desires for our lives to be instruments of righteousness. How does that happen? It happens when we yield our lives to God. You see, if that hammer was in my hand and I'm trying, let's say I did know how to do good work and I'm working with that hammer and that hammer is pulling away and that hammer is doing its own thing, we would say, first of all, we got a problem, okay? Hammers don't do that. But secondly, we'd say uh, uh, the instrument doesn't do the work on its own. It needs to be in the hand of the builder. And God is in the building business and God wants to use us as instruments of righteousness, Romans chapter 6. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? 
Now, I believe there's, there's many different kinds of yokes you can get involved in. I think one of the most obvious that I would never recommend, and by the way, if you say, well, pastor, it's, I've already married somebody and they're not saved or whatever, and I didn't know, I'm not, I'm not trying to say now that you go back and do anything. But I'm talking to our young people here today. You don't ever want to, as a Christian young person, you don't ever want to marry an unsaved young person. Why? Because that is an unequal yoke. What fellowship had light with darkness? What, what concord hath Christ with Belial? It doesn't work. You're not going in the same direction. And so the Bible talks about uh, that uh, uh, idea of not having fellowship with righteousness and unrighteousness. They don't go together. Titus 2 says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Ephesians 6 tells us we're to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And it's a daily, it is a daily task to put on righteousness. If you were in the, in the military and you were going into battle, you would put that armor on. You'd put that body armor on every time you were going into battle, right? As Christians, we're going into battle every day. Every day when you wake up, you are going into battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you're going to battle against some fiery darts of the wicked. And you better have that breastplate of righteousness to protect you from the attacks of Satan. 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. You want to know how to be righteous? You want to know how to do right? You got to get in this book right here. This is what is profitable for instruction in righteousness. So let's look at verse number 137. Righteous art thou, O Lord. Number one, I see the character of God. This is not just a description to say, you know, every once in a while, God's, God's righteous. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, if someone were to, to, to say about me, say, well, hey, you know, you're having a good hair day. And I haven't heard that in a while, but uh, I was looking at some pictures. My mom uh, found this, uh, she found them earlier, but she gave me this afternoon some pictures from when I was in school. Uh, I'd, have, I'd have post some of those. You wouldn't believe how much hair I had on my head. You wouldn't believe how good it looked, too. Uh, Mark, I didn't have quite as much as you, but it was close. I mean, it was borderline. But can I tell you, that would be a description if someone said, well, pastor, you're having a good hair day. Yeah, but not every day is a good hair day. Brother Buddy, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, that's just the way it goes. But when we say that God is righteous, that is his character. That is who he is. He was righteous yesterday. He's righteous today. He's righteous tomorrow. He always has been. He always will be. And don't ever forget that he is righteous. He is right. He makes no mistakes. God is righteous. That is his character. He's always right. Many times people have felt that they know more than God. I think about even the, the theories of how we came to live uh, on planet earth and how life was formed. I want to tell you, God said it, Genesis 1-1, and that is correct. That is right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. For years, men thought that the, the earth was flat, and that's what they believed. Well, I got news for you. Uh, finally, scientists caught up to the Bible. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that he that sitteth on the circle of the earth, that sounded crazy. 
That's why they, they thought that Christopher Columbus was out of his mind setting sail because they said, you're going to fall off the end. But you know what he had done? He'd read the Bible. And as he had read the Bible, he said, well, if the earth is round, then I'll go on the sea until I get to some land. God is righteous. It is his character. God is always right. Look at verse 138. We see his commands. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. You say, well, pastor, I know God is right, but what about the Bible? What about the word of God? I'm glad you asked. God's word is also right and it is faithful. It is dependable. God's word is not a list of suggestions. Notice what it says in verse 138. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. God's laws are not altered by the opinions of man. God's word is right. He doesn't need us to correct it. He doesn't need us to approve it. God's word is righteous. Notice verse 139. David says, my zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Number three, we see the word of God was a consuming factor in David's life. I want to ask you tonight, what is it that consumes you? What is it that always consumes your thoughts? What is it that always consumes uh, your energy? What is it that always consumes your time? David said, my zeal hath consumed me, and he got his zeal from reading the word of God. He said, I can't get enough of it. And he said, and the more I read of this book, he said, it consumes me. Here's why. Number four, he says, because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Number four, the word is consequences. It, it, it blew David's mind to think, how could people, how in the world could people forget the word of God? You might forget something that a stranger tells you. You might forget something that a coworker mentions to you in passing. But if you knew that you had the word of God, if you knew that you had the book from God himself, why would you set it on a shelf and never read it? Why would you set it aside? Why would you treat it as though it was just another book in the library, just another a book of ideas? How could you forget when the creator of the universe has spoken to you? David said, I can't understand that. He said, it consumes me to think about it because for those that forget the word of God, I want to tell you, it is not going to be good at the day of judgment. For the unsaved, those that have forgotten the words of God, they will stand before the great white throne judgment and whosoever was not found written in the book of life will be cast into a lake of fire. But for the Christians, the Christians that, that have the Bible and they know that it's the word of God and they know that they should read it, they know they should live it. Can I tell you there's coming a judgment seat of Christ and that judgment seat of Christ is not a place of punishment. It is a place of reward. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that our works for Christians, saved people, our works will be tried by fire to see of what sort or what manner quality they are. 
The Bible says the works that are wood, hay, stubble, they'll be burned up. And those that are gold and silver and precious stones, those will come through the fire and they will be purified through that fire. Can I tell you, we're all as Christians, we're going to stand before that judgment seat of Christ. That doesn't determine if you're saved or not. You're saved whether by, based on the fact of whether or not you accept Christ or reject Christ. But the judgment seat is where it will be determined the crowns and the rewards that we'll receive. Can I tell you, when I stand before that judgment seat of Christ, I don't want to stand there having forgotten the Word of God. I don't want to stand there having lived my whole life with no regards to what God has told me so clearly in His Word. David says there's consequences because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. So, well, pastor, how do we remember the words of God? How do we keep from forgetting his words? Well, I think one, I think you remember what is important to you. But let's take it a step further. Have you ever had something so important like a password or a, a code and you wrote it down and you couldn't remember where you wrote it down? Yep, story of my life too, Brother Mark. And I'll tell myself, I'm going to put this somewhere where I can find it for sure. The next time I'm looking for it. Where was that place where I could find it for sure? So here's what you have to do. If it's important to you, and you don't want to forget it, you've got to review it. You've got to meditate on it. How about this? I've got some passwords that I don't even have to look up. As a matter of fact, I got some passwords I don't have to think about. I do it automatically. It's memorized. It is ingrained in my mind. Can I tell you, the Word of God ought to be memorized. We ought to study the Scriptures. We ought to meditate on the Scriptures so that we don't forget the Word of God. Like David said, there's consequences. Look at verse number 140. Thy Word is very pure. That word pure, it means there are no contaminations. There is no pollution. In this book right here, you don't have to worry about mistakes or errors or faults. You don't have to worry about misprints. Well, there's a couple publishers where they've messed up a few spellings on words or a few punctuations. But can I tell you, if you've got the Word of God, the King James Version of the Bible, which I believe for English-speaking people is the preserved, inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, you don't have to worry about whether or not it's true. I got news for you. If God could give us His Word, God could preserve His Word. If He's powerful enough to create the heavens and the earth and the, the stars and the moon and the, the sun and the planets, and if God is powerful enough to give you life and breath and to keep the blood flowing through your veins and to keep your heart pumping, God is powerful enough to preserve His Word, and He said He would from this generation forever. The Word of God is pure. David loved it. He said, therefore thy servant loveth it. It is pure. When I was in... I know I was younger than this, but I remember my first big, big writing assignment was in high school. My teacher was uh, dear, sweet pastor's wife uh, from Iowa. Uh, her name is Gail Bray. She lives, she, actually she attends a, a very good church in California. It's brother uh, Jake Pinello's brother-in-law is her pastor now. It's just an amazing story how all that worked. But she was my English teacher. And I remember she gave us an assignment. She said, it's going to be a 10 page 
paper. And first of all, I remember thinking, I did not hear that right. She did not say 10 page. Maybe 10 lines or 10 paragraphs, 10 page. And then she started giving us all that was required, all of the research and all of the bibliography and all of the note cards and then the rough draft. And then I remember turning my rough draft in thinking, this is pretty good. When I got it back, it was covered in red ink. And I'm not talking about just little marks here and there. It's like circles and lines and do this and re rewrite this and rearrange this. And this is out of order. And I thought, man, I thought it was pretty good. That was the rough draft. And I remember finally turning in that final draft. And of course, my English teacher is a great English teacher. I got that back and it was not a perfect paper. I promise you that. But boy, I really tried to get it just right. But there were mistakes. I'm thankful that the Word of God, we don't have the rough draft. We don't have the one that's got errors. We don't have the one that God's still working on. We don't have the one that God stayed up too late the night before and the printer was out of ink. We don't have the Bible that we've only got part of it and we're waiting on the rest. We have the Bible and it is pure. And David said, because it is pure, he says in verse number 140, he said, therefore thy servant loveth it. I hope you love the Bible. I'll close with this verse, verse 141. I'll, I'll tell you I'm closing because I want to give you hope and I'm not going to get all the way to the end. But verse 141, David says, I am small and despised. Yet do not I forget thy precepts. I think David had learned a lesson from the man who was king before him. That man that was king before David was King Saul. The Bible says about Saul in 1 Samuel 15, God told him, he said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, thou wast made the head of the tribes of Israel and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. But something happened to Saul. He got too big. He thought he knew more than God. He thought that the rules that God had set out did not apply to him. And the Bible tells us that God removed Saul from being king and God replaced Saul with a man by the name of David who at the time was out in a field tending to sheep. Can you imagine going from being out in a field watching sheep to all of a sudden you are sitting on the throne of the greatest nation in the world, the nation of Israel? You know why? Because David stayed little. And you can never be too small for God to use you, but you can be too big. The Bible says those that walk in pride, God is able to abase. David says, I am small and despised. David is not boasting, he's not bragging, he's not trying to put himself up, but rather he is recognizing his own weakness and his own frailty. If God is ever going to use us, we're going to have to stay small. We're going to have to stay humble. John the Baptist said it like this, he must increase, but I must decrease. Number six, the word is cognizant. David never forgot who he was. He never forgot how great God was and he never forgot how much he needed the Bible. He says, I'm small and despised, yet do not I forget 
thy precepts. This past week, I had the opportunity to go to Wilson. I had the opportunity to preach in a sc three school chapels in Wilson. Brother Bobby, Miss Edna, your grandkids are in that school. And uh, those folks there, uh, they, I tell you, they helped us so much. Brother Dan and Miss Kelly and I, we went down one day and we met with them before we ever started. We, we, had, we had a million questions. We spent hours with the principal and his son. They were kind of tag teaming it at the time. Uh, Brother Dwight and Brother Ryan Vanderbilt. I was there this last Wednesday and uh, while I was there, Brother Ryan, he, he kept, he said, he said, he said, Pastor, he said, I tell you what. He said, I like your principle. I like Brother Dan. I like that guy. I said, well, I kind of do too. You know, I'm glad we've got him. He said, and, and he said a lot of other things too, but one thing I cracked up about, I thought, if you only knew. He said, I like it. He's got good instincts. And I thought, oh yeah, if you only knew. He does have good instincts. And, uh, and obviously God has blessed him and God has equipped him in many, many ways. We were talking about all that and I told Brother Dan that. I said, I don't get a big head, but I said, Ryan, he thinks you are incredible. When I told Ryan, I said, you can't have Dan Bybee. He's staying here. Uh, so don't even think about calling the Wilson. But uh, Ryan was showing me they've got a new building there, a new addition that they've put in. and It's an amazing place, and God's used them. Uh, pastor Joe Shakur is the pastor of that church, Tabernacle Baptist Church, right across the street there from the school. And Ryan started telling me about the building, and he was showing me some things they were doing. He said, Pastor, he said, I want to tell you, he said, I had a very interesting conversation a few years ago with the man who first bought this property before there ever was a school here. And he told me a little bit about the man who had been in the ministry for years and God had used him for great things. But the man was up in years, a few years ago when Ryan talked to him. He said, I asked this man, he said, sir, if you could tell me one thing about the ministry, if you give me one piece of advice about, about all your years of experience in churches and Christian schools and ministry, he said, what would you tell me? He said, that old preacher looked at me and said, son. He said, he pointed his finger at me. He said, don't ever touch God's glory. When Ryan told me that, I about had chills going up my, just, just that thought. I mean, we know that. But to hear a preacher all those years and all those ministries that he'd been a part of and how God had used him, and he said, son, don't ever touch God's glory. He said, this is God's work, and God is going to get all the glory. Don't touch it. And I want to remind us, this church, this ministry, God has done some great things. And let me say that again. God has done some great things, and He deserves all the glory. And may God help us to stay small. May God help us to stay little so that he can continue to use us. Not because we're special, but because we are humble enough and yielded enough to let God do what he wants to do. And in turn, let God get all the glory. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.